skin is a living part of your body and your largest organ. And as skincare experts for over 30 years, Dermalogica's number one focus is on empowering people to achieve their healthiest skin ever. Education is at the heart of everything we do. So our podcast brings advice from top skin health experts directly to you. Join us as we discuss research and skin technologies to help you get real results. Welcome to your skincare journey with Dermalogica. It's time to start living in your healthiest skin. Welcome to Living Skin. I'm Beth Wyalko with Global Education, and I have in the studio with me today our founder and chief visionary, Jane Werwind. So welcome back, Jane. Thanks, Beth. It's great to be back. Well, we are so excited to have you here today, especially the focus of our podcast is all around entrepreneurship. And I think also to some burning questions from our listeners around not only entrepreneurship, but how you really started and began the creation of the International Dermal Institute and Dermalogica. So when you started the International Dermal Institute and Dermalogica, at that time, you know, this is back in 1983, and of course, Dermalogica in 1986, Mm -hmm. you literally shifted the mentality of the skincare industry. Mm -hmm. And so did you know that you would create (laughs) such a movement in skincare? Um, You know, I didn't know immediately. I did know pretty early on. And first of all, I believe as an entrepreneur, if you can spot the greatest pain in an industry, you just spotted the greatest opportunity. So if you see the problem and you can present a solution, there's an opportunity for a business. And that's exactly what happened with the International Dermal Institute. I emigrated to the United States in January of 1983. I did not know that there were only seven states out of the 50 that had a skincare license. California was one of them, but I did not know it before I came. I just assumed it was exactly like Europe, and it was a two-year training with a one-year apprenticeship, and that's how naive I was. And when I landed in California, there was a 10.4% unemployment rate, I, which really was, was shocking. I mean, no one was hiring anybody. But as we know in our industry, there is always going to be a demand for what we do. Right. And so I started interviewing at salons. The first thing was I realized there weren't very many skincare salons. In fact, they were all in Beverly Hills, and they were all owned by Europeans, right. uh, Romanian, uh, French... Czech um, and British. And so there there weren't American-owned skincare salons that I was aware of as an immigrant walking the streets. And look, remember this is before the internet. You literally had the yellow pages and you're walking around. So I I started interviewing at those salons and the first thing that came to, to my realization was the fact that everyone I saw who was going in and out of the treatment rooms had a European accent. And everyone answering the phone and on the front desk was American. And I posed that as a question to one of the women that owned one of these salons. And she told me that the training was bad in America and she couldn't hire anyone trained here. So I thought, that's ridiculous. How can that be true? How is that possible? At the same time, Raymond, who's now my husband, and we started the company together, and we were at that stage dating, He got a job with Takara Belmont selling skincare equipment on commission only. And he had the highest level of sophistication of equipment. And 
he had no one that knew how to operate it. We put those two pieces together and realized the big gap in this industry that we knew so well outside of the States was a lack of education. It was a 600-hour education that was by the State Board of Cosmetology, so it's a consumer protection agency. It's not an industry regulation standards in, you know, uh, body. So the opportunity was to provide upskilling improve the education. So we stepped forward with the International Dermal Institute in December of 83. And we were teaching manual lymph drainage, aromatherapy, reflexology, European skincare techniques, um, acne treatments, mature skin and how to treat it. I mean, these were our classes, anatomy and physiology classes with skin analysis. And it took off you know, like a rocket, and we realized we had a big opportunity in education. That then informed the fact that the students I was teaching were saying, well, what product should we use? And I said, well, what product are you using now? And they told me French, German, Italian. They weren't using anything American. And that seemed odd. And then we realized, of course, there were no professional salon products that were being made in America in any large way that would dominate an industry. And so in 1986, we launched Dermalogica to meet that need. So again, it was spotting the pain and then identifying the solution to that problem. And so that's, that's you know, an entrepreneurial mindset. So how quickly did I realize that it was going to create a movement? Well, I realized from my first students when I was saying, look, we... I don't use the word beauty, just so you know, because I don't believe in it. And they were sort of cheering because they, they had a similar sense. There was this tribal connection. And, and we were, you know, wrapping the clients the same way. And we were approaching the skin the same way. And we were analyzing before we did. Even the sequence in order that I was teaching was, was a little different to what they had learned. And, and, you know, I said, this is the way that it works for me. This, this is how I've got results on the skin. I think it will work for you. And so that was sort of like this, this discovery. Every class was a discovery. And, and the class finished at five o'clock, but everyone was still there at seven. And, you know, we were still talking about what we'd learned and sharing and giving each other treatments. And it was just a huge hangout session. And sometimes it would end up with, you know, Domino's pizza and box wine. I mean, it yeah. was crazy. It was, <laughs> so I definitely had a sense there's a need. And then I realized it's not just for the classes. It's a community. There's a need for a sense of community because as skin therapists, we work alone so often. And actually, the busier you are, the more often you're alone with your client in the treatment room. So there was this lack of community and this lack of this sort of feeling of um, I can, I've got other people that I can call for help. I've got other people that have my back. I've got other people that care about what I'm doing. And I realized that the students were returning and taking the same class over and over. And it wasn't because they'd lost their notebook or forgotten what we taught the first time. They wanted to be part of something bigger than just their treatment room. And once we realized that, then we realized, okay, then we're going to have guest speaker events, we're going to have membership evenings, we're going to have Passport to Education, which was one of our first initiatives to bring everyone back to re-experience the classes. And then Dermalogica became its own tribe because now we had the glue and the glue was the product. We all shared the common experience of the product. And we literally decided uh, both empathetically, telepathically, and verbally, we're going to change the industry. We're going to change the industry. We're going to set out to bring it into a new era of validation, truthfulness, authenticity, creativity, 
there's no one way to do this. We're each going to carve our own path and we're going to do it together. And the thing that will connect each of us is the fact that we're using the same product. Do I think Domologica is the best product in the world? Yes, of course I do. But do I also think that Domologica has the best tribe in the world and that's the reason for our success? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So yes, I, I realized that it wasn't just the class or the product, it was the community. And of course the amazing thing about Domologica's distribution is that we're distributed with a PST present, a professional skin therapist, and so therefore we're an entrepreneurial brand because so many of our professional skin therapists are the owners of the independent salons that we supply. We're the largest professional skincare brand in the industry. And so we have the privilege of dealing with tens of thousands of, of entrepreneurs. So this is an entrepreneurial journey, not just for Domologica, but for every single one of the salons that carries our product. Mm -hmm. And I think you made a great point there that it's like you knew that there was a change coming. Yes. And you wanted to create a change in the shift. Yes. And I think for you know, every entrepreneur out there, that should be something that's kind of the, the driving force behind it, is not to do it the same way as everyone else is doing. No. Because in the 80s, Dermalogica, the products were rather revolutionary. I mean, they're yes. very different compared to the jars that, you know, <laughs> smelled very frilly and matched Creme your bathroom. Creme hydratante de nuit. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Like, does it smell like roses? Mm-hmm, yeah. it does. So. And it has fragrance. And, oh, it's pink. And, oh, it's got artificial, you know, color. And so, yes, we stepped forward with a product that was a hybrid of pharmaceutical product and a cosmetic. So it was the first cosmeceutical product that the industry had seen because we had drug registration for our acne products special clearing booster was one of the first benzoyl peroxide products available mm -hmm. and we had drug registration for our sunblocks mm -hmm. so both of those had to be manufactured you know to pharmaceutical standards and and were and so it was this hybrid of products that were drug registered and products that were cleansers toners moisturizers mm -hmm. and so it was this uh, this amazing and the, and the look of the product the name of the product you know dermal it wasn't named after me. Right. Um, it was this idea that it was skin, derma, logical, made sense. So it fit us. And, and you know, we, we drove everything to that brand identity. The, it was all from education. We're an education company with a great product, not a product company that has education. And that's what sets us apart, I believe. So our foundation was truthful education and authenticity. And that, of course, then informed the product, which was this has to be truthful, uh, educational-based, and, and authentic. We didn't promise miracle wrinkle removers. We didn't have any magical bust-lifting creams or bottom creams or anything like that. We were stepping forward and saying skin health and skin care is just like anything to do with human body. It is a day-to-day -day commitment to your well-being. And you don't use a skincare product once and it transforms your skin the same way that you don't eat well one day and it changes your nutrition. Right. So we approached it in that in that way and, and it resonated with enough people to build our success. And of course, it also, you know, quite honestly, turned off a lot of people who didn't want that kind of product. I mean, there were many people who rejected Dermalogica and said, you know, I, I want that. I want that pink product and I want, you know, 
I want to see a sleeping client, you know, Rendalen on a on a rock to represent, you know, my spa. Uh, that was that just wasn't us. It just wasn't what we were about. It wasn't who I was about. And so, yeah, I would. We had a, a mantra that we would turn off eighty percent and turn on twenty percent, mm-hmm. and uh, that was okay. I think if you're going to be different, you're going to do it differently. It's going to be polarizing. I think. I think. You know, the, the issue is some entrepreneurs invent something completely different. Some see something that's happening and just do it differently and maybe do it better. You know, SoulCycle is successful and it's not because they invented spinning, but they invented a different way of delivering that. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's endless opportunities for innovation in entrepreneurship. And I think we just have to look at what's out there and see how it could be different or better. So speaking of the brand, the passion, and the vision, I want to jump to a question about, you know, when when you started the International Dermal Institute and Dermalogica, you were also very clear, right, about your vision and your passion for the industry. So how does a business owner or an entrepreneur go about motivating their team to share a similar passion and dedication to the business. I know within Dermalogica, I mean, I've been here for almost 12 years now, mm-hmm. as educators, I mean, we know the story and we all feel it. Yes. Every single you know part of us takes that message yes. very clearly and that vision um, and, you know, the the dedication to skincare out to, you know, our accounts, to our therapists, to honestly, anyone who's really wanting to listen, we're right? <laughs> we're ready to share that. So how does someone actually kind of kind of instill that same type of drive in maybe their own staff or team? Any suggestions or advice with that? I think it all starts with your why. You know, we can all talk about what we do. We can probably talk about how we do it and maybe who does it. The issue, the crux of the matter is why do you do it? Why are you a skin therapist? What is it about skin therapy? Why is it important? If you're a teacher, why? The greater why for me as a skin therapist was always to bring that client's skin to its optimum level of health and in the process, build a relationship that's kind and empathetic. That was my simple why when I started as a skin therapist. And that always, you know, kind of told me what treatments I was going to do and how I was going to behave to my clients and why touching my clients was such a privilege and so important. When we introduced the International Dermal Institute, the why was to make skin therapists more successful by improving their techniques. Mm -hmm. When we introduced Dermalogica, the why was to define and bring respect and success to professional skin therapists through excellent education, innovative product, and outstanding customer service. The why was for the other person's benefit. And I believe that if you succeed in helping someone else, I believe in the credo that whatever you give, you get back 10 times in return. If we could make other people successful, then we in turn would be successful. We believed it and we trusted it and I still do. So I think that when you're developing your your business vision, whatever your business is, you first start with what is the reason for doing it, the why. 
it's very easy to say this is this is how I want you to do it this is what I want you to do this is what I want you to say that's not the same as why am I saying it why do we not use the word beauty so it's very easy for me to say you know what don't use the word beauty I don't like it I I I blah 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 and it is all about me that's not actually a higher higher sense of purpose I'm just telling you to do what I told you to which isn't really even very interesting so it was never about that it was the reason we don't use the word beauty is because it is in in for domologica and for the international domal institute it's highly subjective Mm -hmm. it's highly uh, appearance oriented when it's applied to women it is a word that is very gender specific it's generally used towards women and not men therefore it is othering i don't think it's aspirational I don't think it's current or relevant. I didn't in 1983, and I still don't in 2018. I think that there will be a time where we're not called the beauty industry, and I look forward to it. The same way that my qualification reads, I'm a beauty therapist. I'm a skincare therapist. We just decided that. So I would encourage anyone with their business, drill deep, dig in for your why. Why are you doing the work? And then, how are you going to articulate that to your team? Because a team, a tribe, a group, a company want to be, it needs to be aspirational. It needs to be something bigger than, oh, well, I want to take home a paycheck. Oh, well, because my boss told me to do this. That's not a vision. What's, what are we all driving to? And if you can articulate the bigger why, now we've all got a reason to attach ourselves to it. Okay, so if our goal is this is our our why so let's say we decide we're going to open a skincare center that specializes in acne treatments and let's say our bigger why is because we really want to reach out to people who are struggling with acne and we want to give them the very best opportunity to have their skin be as healthy as it possibly can right so we haven't said clear up acne because that may not be achievable for all people, not perfectly. We've said bring that skin to its optimum level of health and condition. All right, so it's very, very individual. It's not some blanket statement. It's very individual to that person. So now let's say we're introducing, you know, introducing this clinic. I will tell you that I, I would not choose photographs or illustrations in my, in my space that were just of people that did not have acne. I mean, I think, you know, it it informs everything you do. What is the language we're going to say? Are we going to say, you know, acne is a problem skin? Well, that's very, that's very othering too. How are we going to describe it? And so what what would be the word that we will use as our tribe? It might just be you on your own. It could be you and a couple of people that work with you. But what is our vision going to be? And how are we going to step forward? And how are we going to communicate that? And do we think there are enough people, i.e. clients, consumers out there, that this will resonate with? In other words, have we identified the right pain? And do we have the right solution or are we still looking for and this is where brainstorming comes in and you drill in and you drill in but it starts with your why what is the bigger reason for you doing this what is the higher purpose what is the benefit to someone else of you doing it and if you can identify it and you really believe you can step forward and offer them something that will be of benefit to them I believe you will be successful and I trust it so it's really, again, just kind of recapping, is understanding your why yes. and your greater purpose. And it's not what your 
getting out of it. It's like really making sure that, you know, who you're servicing or who you're reaching out towards feels that connection. Yes. And I think too, then having your team feels that connection because then they have what I like to say is a bigger purpose yes. and a purpose that's bigger than themselves. Exactly. So we all, I believe it's human human behavior. We all want to feel part of something mm-hmm. bigger than just ourselves. Yeah. It's part of what drives our empathy and, and I believe it drives our ambition too. We want to be a collective, we want to be human you know, beings and, right. and that's part of our humanity. So being an entrepreneur is very exciting. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it can also be very scary. Yes. Because, I mean, oftentimes you're just you're stepping off that ledge and you're yeah. just going for it. Yeah. Um, what's your advice to someone to maybe who needs to kind of develop what I would say maybe courage or confidence to not just, what I like to say, to not participate in their careers, But how can they develop that confidence to kind of lead the way, whether it's service, whether it's by education? I mean, it's very much what you've done with the International Dermal Institute and Dermalogica. And you really challenge like a skin therapist to not just participate in your career, not just, you know, act the treatment out, but you stepped into it and you really led the way for others to kind of identify with that. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes you get excited as an entrepreneur, it is scary, and then your courage and your confidence starts to kind of wane a little bit, you know, maybe thinking like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yes, yes. well, constantly. I think about that all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm writing a book right now, and uh, I've never written a book in my life. I would never classify myself as a writer. I'm scared as hell and loving every minute of it. So I think the entrepreneurial mindset is you actually quite like being scared. In, I know that sounds a lot, but it's it's really exciting, you know. So I I like what I call productive discomfort. When you're too comfortable, you're just not going to rock the boat. And you know, you get a bit comfortable. You get in what my mother used to call a good going rut. Like you get in your rut, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, you're just coasting along, but it's not very exciting, is it? So I believe. In life, you know, I want to go skidding into my grave, you know, yes. <laughs> full throttle. I don't want to just roll in. <laughs> roll in. I want to go, I want to live every second. I want to push hard to get every experience that I can. And I, I'm not, you know, jumping out of planes or anything. Other people find that exciting. That I find absolutely crazy. But I love the idea of, um, of risk-taking in a way that, my goodness, if this works, it's going to be pretty amazing. Yeah. That's what I love. And and again, I don't like to take a lot of personal risk. I like risking when others will benefit. That To me, that's mm. my drive. If it's something and I think, oh, I, I'm going to do this just because it's risky for me, like jumping out of a plane, I'm not very interested in that. But if I think, oh, I really want to set up this new nonprofit, which, you know, by the way, I am busy doing. I want to set up a new nonprofit, and this is what I see. I, I, this is who it could benefit, and this will be startup entrepreneurs, and da, da, da. that starts to get me excited. And, and so the first thing I would say is, do you have an appetite for being excited? <laughs> so most people say, do you have an appetite for risk? Yes. And do you have an appetite for being excited? Now, some people don't. You know, some people like to be, you know, comfortable and not, you know, which I'm perfectly okay with because you need people on your team. Mm -hmm. You need everyone. You know, I don't want... 
someone managing my accounting and my finances that's up for risk and yeah. not being really scared or really exciting. <laughs> I like a good combination. No, 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 it's not a good combination. So again, it's sort of horses for courses. But I think the first thing that, that starts with is do you have an appetite for being really excited and enthusiastic and feeling a little unstable yeah. and not having the full... You don't have the knowledge that it's going to work. You know, it's very easy. It's lovely to talk about Dermalogico and the International Dermal Institute now because it worked. So, right. of course, it's lovely to celebrate it. But I remember back then when I was doing all the laundry for the students in our you know, little laundry in the basement of our apartment building, of our one-bedroom apartment in Marina del Rey, that it wasn't working at all. It was, you know, we weren't taking any salary for three years. I mean, I drew out $300 a month from the business just so that I had pantyhose and underwear. And that was it. You know, Ray kept his job as a sales rep at Takara so that we could pay our rent, put food on the table. We were partners in everything. And at that time, we had friends who literally told us we were crazy. And why don't we go out and get proper jobs so that we could earn some money and, you know, come out to dinner with them. And and yet, the second piece of how you do this kicked in at that stage, and that is trust. Mm-hmm. You've got to trust that what you're doing has a higher purpose. You know, I trust in a power higher than myself. You know, whatever you call that, whether you call it God or the universe or destiny or fate, every one of us has a different belief system. But whatever it is that drives that trust, I trust it implicitly. I believe that every one of us is here for a purpose bigger than ourselves. And I trust it. I've learned to trust that because I have seen it happen. So now I feel really excited and yes scared but I trust it there's a reason I'm meant to be doing this and I think you have to have an element of that ability to be scared and excited at the same time and then trust and I think that's critically important and if you can't have that or you you are not ready to feel that Mm -hmm. it's not the right time for you to start your business and that's okay too. That's okay too. Not everyone is an entrepreneur and not everyone should be. Right. And some people have amazing, brilliant ideas and never execute on them. And other people execute ideas that aren't so brilliant and amazing, but they do such a good job of execution that it's successful as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a hundred ways, you know, if we're driving from here to San Francisco, if we're going from here to San Francisco, Beth, there's a lot of ways to get there. We could take a car, we can take a train, we can take a plane. We could drive, ride a bike. We could, you know, walk it. <laughs> we could go on a bird scooter. You know, so there's a lot of ways to get there. Some are quicker. Some are more expensive. Some require other people. Some you can do alone. Regardless of what method you take, all are capable of getting you to San Francisco. Each of us chooses our vehicle. Perfect. So last question. If you could give any uh, a tip or um, a piece of advice or one thing to really think about to an entrepreneur listening today, what would that be? You've given us so much already. I think think one of the key pieces is visualization. I believe strongly that you visualize what you want to happen. It doesn't mean that just by visualizing it, oh, oh, there it happened, wouldn't that you know, be easy. But I do believe that when you visualize something as detailed and as finished as you can possibly make it with as much detail as you can make it, when the opportunities come to you, and they will come to you, 
that will allow you to make that visualization manifest, you will recognize those opportunities. But if you hadn't been thinking and seeing and visualizing what you wanted, when those opportunities come, you won't recognize them. They'll pass you by. You won't see it for what it is. But my goodness, if you are visualizing what you want when the opportunities come, and I I talk about this a little bit like, I, I try and explain this a little bit like meeting someone at an airport, you know. If I told you to please go and meet my friend at the airport today, you don't have enough information to know what airport you're going to, who you're meeting, where the plane came from, what they, who they are. Now, if I said, Beth, please go to LAX and meet my friend off the flight from Heathrow. Okay, you have a better chance of seeing them when they emerge, but you don't know what time, you don't know what their name is, you don't know what they look like. Now, if I say, Beth, please go to LAX and meet my friend Jane Sullivan off the 2.30 flight from London Heathrow on American Airlines. Here's a photograph of what she looks like. She has global entry, so she'll come out one of the first ones through. Just meet her at the, you know, at the welcome point and she'll be looking for you. Mm-hmm. That to me is what opportunities are. If you know what you're looking for, I promise you if that if Jane Sullivan is on that flight, you will meet her and she will get, go with you and leave with you because she is looking for you. I believe if we visualize it with detail, when that opportunity emerges from the crowd, you will spot it and you will say, that's it. And guess what? That opportunity sees you too. And I trust it. And so that would be one of my key pieces of advice. As, as esoteric as it might be to some people listening, I assure you, it is my North Star. It is the way that I have personally built everything in my life. Well, Jane, thank you so much for being in here with us today. I always enjoy our time together. (laughs) I know we could probably take this podcast for another two hours. Well, easily. We could sit and talk all day, (laughs) Beth, but it was a privilege and an honor. And thank you very much for including me. I'm happy to be here and good to see you. Great. Good to see you too. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Living Skin. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. If you have any topics you'd like for us to feature, send an email to livingskinpod at dermalogica.com. And until next time, cheers to living in your healthiest skin.